New alarm bells ringing tonight on the coronavirus outbreak in this country. Doctors say the virus is spread through droplets when someone coughs or sneezes. And I think the business community, it's in their interest that people actually stay home and stop the spread. For a business that can allow more employees to telecommute, we want you to do that. In these times, what does it mean to sell with purpose? How can you bring intention to every sales conversation, no matter what you're selling? What if success doesn't mean just one more closed sale, but one more life saved? Hi, friends. I'm Andy Paul, host of the Sales Enablement Podcast, and this is Selling with Purpose, a special six-part series of inspiring conversations exploring what it means to sell with a mission greater than just hitting your numbers in the era of COVID-19 and beyond. Tune in to hear from world-class enterprise sales leaders and learn how their six companies will close $50 billion selling remotely. See how they've supported essential workers with the products and services they need to stay safe and thrive during this time of crisis. A special thank you to our guests and their incredible companies, Sodexo, Henry Schein, Gordon Food Services, NFP, Stanley Security, and CDK for allowing us to share their stories. All right, let's get into it. Ryan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure to have you here. Where are you calling in from today? <laughs> well, I'm I'm home sequestered in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, which is uh, which is where I live most most of the time when I when I'm not traveling, which I'm not traveling these days. <laughs> no, no, very few of us are. I read this morning that uh, we're recording this in the first week of May that last week on U.S. Airlines, average number of passengers per plane. Can you guess? Uh, 12. Yeah, 17. That's <laughs> <laughs> terrible. It's terrible. So for people like you and I that, that travel extensively, have traveled all over the world, as you do, I know you do in your job, and I certainly did for years of mine, it's like, yeah, hard to believe. 17, it's like, uh, almost like throwback days to, I don't say this, to pre-deregulation days in the 70s. They'd fly the planes no matter how many people I had on them. <laughs> right. Well, right after 9-11, I was on a flight. And and I couldn't tell if this was because I was coming out of Las Vegas on a Friday night, which no one ever does. People are going yeah, into true. Las Vegas. That's Everybody's going the other way, right? Or, or if it was due to 9-11, but it was, it was myself and one other gentleman. Wow. And I had this, I had this sense of duty that I needed to keep track of him, you know, like, and he said, and I think he felt the same about me, like, okay, keep an eye on this guy, you know, maybe something's going to go on. <laughs> something suspicious about you. Yeah. 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 That's funny. Yeah. I think the last time I had so few people on a plane, I think it was about seven. I was up years ago, decades ago, flying on a flight from San Francisco to Memphis. And, uh, they got a warning when we were flying across the they couldn't tell whether it was our plane or the one after us that had left most of their tires on the runway. Oh. And so we had to do flybys of the terminal. But they said there are only less than a couple handful of us on this plane. So we're all sitting in like the first two rows of the plane, you know, assuming the crash position and so on as they come into oh, land. That's that was terrible. Yeah. That's the thing I remember about, oh, so few people on the plane. Yeah, we almost died. Um, so anyway. So, <laughs> so anyway, Andy. <laughs> yeah. Forget those stories. So... Um, you're Vice President of Global Inside Sales for Sodexo. So tell people about Sodexo because they come into contact with Sodexo most likely in their lives, but maybe aren't aware that they do. Well, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, 100 million people interact with Sodexo every day. Every day. So, wow. I mean, it's one, one, you know, think about 
that's that's one percent of the planet. So we we end up servicing lots of things that you would recognize. So for example, if you went to the Super Bowl, uh, any of the food there, any of the services there, that was all through us. If you've gone to LinkedIn headquarters and had a coffee or had lunch, uh, that's us. Mm-hmm. If you had a churro in college, uh, that's us. <laughs> but what I like to think about right now is the loved ones that you care about that are in hospitals right now and how those hospitals are being cleaned, the people on the front lines, the people. So, so think about the staff that need a break and that need a need to grab a coffee or mm-hmm. you know need, need a clean room. That's us. We're making all of that happen. Uh, think about all the kids who are home from school who who didn't have meals, uh, consistent meals other than at school, and and we're providing hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of meals to schools right now for kids that didn't, you know, kids that would otherwise go hungry. So that's all us too. So it's an amazing company. It's um, you know four hundred thousand plus employees around the globe. It's not just food and facilities. We actually do a lot of HR software, so recognition, employee recognition software, benefits and rewards, employee survey software, and uh, it's pretty interesting. And you know, for spending my my whole life almost working in Silicon Valley, Silicon Slopes, if you will, mm-hmm. back and forth between those two, and and then finding this place, it's uh, it's quite different, and it's uh, it's it, it's honestly, it's changed my life. It's a great company. And so, you have responsibility for the entire portfolio. I do. So when I started, I started sort of in the employee recognition side, uh, in the software side, and then we had success, which you know, great. Uh, and I guess some people noticed, and um, I got called up to and was asked to, to overrun or to sorry to run all of inside sales around the around the globe, as well as a big sales enablement piece. And in particular around North America, so um, it's global. We've got teams all over the place. Uh, my team is spread out across the globe, and we've got four centers of excellence that we're we've built, which are inside sales and digital marketing centers mm-hmm. around the globe. So, how many people in that organization? So, total in that organization. So it's very matrixed. <laughs> so not mm-hmm. everyone reports to me, but <laughs> you know we've got. Um, well, let's just say on your sales team. Yeah. So, well, total sales team around the globe, you know, 700. Mm-hmm. And then we've got sales enablement, sales sales operations people, probably to the tune of 40, 50. Got it. So in your inside sales, and I guess, sure, it depends on the product because you have, you said food services, uh, you've got the facilities, uh, you got software. Are they handling... Uh, lead generation, like you know, SDRs, or are they handling full cycle sales in many cases? Yeah, it's it's such an interesting model. So the the inside sales team is mostly doing. It depends on which which division. So if it's the food mm-hmm. division, it's mostly SDRs. It's right. finding the opportunities. It's passing them over. And the reason we do that is is like all companies. I mean, you have to you have to segment by skill set. So we we segment by function and it turns out that field sales is pretty hands-on. If you're going to put a facility for example in the LinkedIn's headquarters, <laughs> they they want to they want you there. They want right. to see it. They want you to bring the CAD designs and the mock-up. They want to show you which walls you're going to knock out and put, put where where's the cafe going to go. Um, and so that one's pretty hard to close over the phone. Even though I would argue and I continue to argue at our business there's more that we could close over the phone than we think. And now, and now with COVID, it's just 
everything's changed. So, I mean, like you've interviewed lots of people, everything's virtual now. So how are we going to do all that? Um, but then on the, the other divisions, they, they do close. Uh, in fact, some of those, in fact, 90% in some cases is all over the phone. And we're talking still $700,000 million ASPs still being closed, which is great. Yeah, which more and more, I think, we, as you said, we are going to see because, yeah, it's not clear exactly when we when we get back to whatever the next normal is. Um, it certainly will look different than what it is today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to um, it's going to take a little bit. I mean, we keep thinking, oh, yeah, I mean, there's this our minds play funny tricks on us. Like we're just going to get back to where it was. But I think, I think the longer it goes, we realize there's really no, there's really no getting back. I mean, things will be changed permanently in some areas forever. Well, what are some of those areas that you're seeing in your business that you think might be changed forever from a sales perspective? I mean, do you see more people working remotely versus the office or more of the field sales transitioning into an inside sales function? Yeah, I think I think forever will be changed how a company treats its safety and the cleanliness of the facility. So so I don't think that changes. I think people will enable and enact a new level of norm around keeping a facility more sanitized than it was before. So mm-hmm. that's in, that's very interesting for a company like Sodexo because that's your business. That's yeah. that's a big part of our business. So people are asking. Um, I think forever will be changed. The way people manage, I think we're just now beginning sort of mitigation and litigation, and that's unfortunate. So I think mm-hmm. companies, the litigious side of this is going to really pick up. Companies, uh, employees you already see are, you know, taking litigation against the company. The company's taking litigation against governments and, and so on. So it's it's really, um, it, that's the sad side of it. But I think it's going to, that reaction will cause a sort of a, a clamp and um, and people will react very differently in years to come, there'll be procedures and policies that just we can't get away from because of COVID, and and we'll and we'll you know even our kids will will grow up and enter the workforce and they'll say well due to COVID you know just like we have for nine eleven based I mean you hear this at airports now or say since nine eleven like that was a demarcation point <laughs> and we're going to say things like since COVID yeah no I it, absolutely I think we're unmindful of the fact of how much things have changed in the aftermath of nine eleven for travel, security, many, many dimensions. And they just, we've accepted it, right? I mean, we would have considered them huge impositions. None of us could have envisioned some of this. And I think you're right. So, and some of the changes will come and it could be long lasting as you talked about. So you've obviously had to transition a huge number of people around the world to work from home status. And how, how'd that go for you? (laughs) Well, how did, how is it going, Andy? Is the question. That, <laughs> well, I was just talking about making the transition, not not the ongoing work. Let's just first things yeah. first. Yeah. So so well, first things first is, I mean, everyone sort of immediately realized, okay, this is not you know, this is not going to be short term, and and um, and so we got we have I mean we have conference calls nonstop, we have Zoom calls nonstop, we've mm-hmm. picked up video calls. We've picked up all of the touch points where we normally would say touch base with the whole sales team once a month. It's now several times a week. And um, we started an employee page where people can, we just did a quick pulse survey to get a pulse on how people are doing. So we've done that, for example, with with uh, the sales teams. And, and so how did it go initially? I mean, it was rough. 
It was rough. It was exactly what you would expect. You get people who are who are in the field nonstop, who who are used to visiting customers, who had customer sites scheduled, implementation scheduled, you know, drawings and layouts all scheduled, and uh, and that stopped. And so those orders are you're trying to manage those over the phone. At the same time, there's this sense of okay, but I got to take care of me, and and so we're. It's tough. I mean, we're all in this boat where, yes, I'm a corporate person, but I'm also individualistic. I've, there's a sense of safety that I have to produce for myself, and and so you you find all of ourselves just find themselves in this rough balance of okay, my customer orders are on pause, these projects are on pause. I got to worry about my family, and I got it, but I also got to check in at work and what's next. So I think we're just now entering that phase of. Okay, now we're settled, and we. So, what's next? And the good news is, we got marketing teams <clears throat> a couple a couple of weeks ago, if not a, over a month ago, to really start to to push and drive a new level of marketing and get out on the front lines. And and the reaction was pretty visceral at first. Like, what are you doing? Everybody's in a pandemic. You can't talk about how we can help them. <laughs> and I was emphatic, and I said, No, now now is exactly the time. We're going sure. out strong. So, I mean, we made a case to the CEO in this time, which is really, really tough. Think about this. When we're cutting parts of our business or things are on hold because, because the unknown is so great. Mm-hmm. And we said, and we got, we got the CEO's ear and said, and now you have to spend money in marketing more than ever. And to his credit, he listened. It's been amazing. So you're going to see some big campaigns come out from us that talk about how we can help, how we can be present for you in a time of need. How we can help the return to normalcy with the product offerings you have and the service offerings you have. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is people people shouldn't have to go through this again at a company. So think about what they have to go through. The, 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 the you know, the, the um, litigation side alone will help our business because if you're a company who you have employees, hundreds of thousands of employees, and you have X amount dedicated to your facilities, to your food, to and if you were if you we call this self-operated, if you ran this self-operated, say you were say say you were a museum and, and the museum said, No, we cater food and we've got our own cafe, we run it, we we sanitize it. Right. And you've got customers coming in who might end up catching COVID. And and let's just say a couple of them decide, oh yeah, that wasn't safe, and they're gonna sue. You don't ever want to go through that again as a company. So, see, we're we're bigger, we're we're better protected that way because we've had to deal with that for you know fifty plus years. We understand mm-hmm. those ramifications. So, so one of our <laughs> one of our suggestions to employees is put it on us. Right. You don't have to go through this again. There are companies like us, and there are others. You know, some of our competitors, great great respectable companies. Put it on those people. That's what they do. And. Um, and so anyway, it's a really interesting message that we can go out with right now. And I'm sort of wondering too, is, is obviously you have a ton of employees that have been affected by this, all the food service workers and so on, all the arenas that are closed that, um, you know, games aren't going on and, you know, just sort of this multiplier effect. It seemed like in your business that, that your sales team would be perhaps more than in many companies that were acutely aware of just how their efforts benefit their fellow employees by selling something that can put people to work. Yeah, no, it's it, it, that that momentum is starting to pick up. Uh, there is a sense of duty to our company. 
we on the front lines of sales have an opportunity to change the lives of hundreds of thousands of people right now, which is why when we started talking about marketing and spend, um, when the visceral reactions came in, I said, whoa, 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 realize what we're trying to do here. We have an opportunity. There are the numbers of people online, including our buyers, have doubled over the last month. You think about all the internet traffic now. Mm-hmm. There's two things that are really interesting that are occurring. Internet traffic is way up. People are on our site more than ever. But that's just in general. It's it's everywhere. Okay. Secondly, people are at home and they're more open because of the spirit of, you know, spirit spirit of unity. We're all in this together. They're more mm-hmm. open to taking your call, to taking your LinkedIn, to taking your invite. So so an inside sales rep on my team sending a note that says, um, so sorry. We're here to help when you're ready. It's getting way more exposure and reaction than it ever did before. So it's really interesting. So so when we think about pushing our marketing and sales efforts right now, we uh, we do. We're starting to feel this sense of duty because because of the people that have been affected. You got to think. I mean, our stadiums. We cover thousands of stadiums, and I mean, ninety seven percent of stadiums stopped within three weeks of each other yeah around the globe and it was it's you've never i mean you hopefully never see this something like this again we never saw it we've never seen it no nothing close a lot of those um, um, frontline employees unfortunately um have been impacted now we created first thing we did is we cut back expenses all the management lay around the globe including myself we took a we took a decent cut on our pay we donated um, and we created, based on our board of directors, also we we created a thirty million dollar fund to have those to, to give employees that lifeline for as long as we can, and um, and that's now on our sales team to start bringing it back, bringing back some of these orders, these projects, and uh, and we're seeing that. You know what's interesting? Some places like our corporate service segment, so we we divide our business into segments, but our corporate mm-hmm. service segment. There's not been a real slowdown. People want to talk. They want to talk about these projects. Now, of course, our sports and leisure, like our stadiums, that's on that's that's a major on major hold. Airports, I imagine, right? Yeah, airports have been on hold, but not but not indefinitely. So they they're having conversations with us about hey, when it comes back, how we're going to make sure we're clean, and so that's really interesting. Yeah, you think about this as and it's it's just sort of this fundamental need. And we talk about you know bringing the economy back, but but you've really identified. That's what I hadn't really thought of it in this context. Is clean is the baseline. Yeah, right. We talk about testing employees, and and you know, obviously a lot of that's going to go on, but you can't have the employees come back into an environment that's also not safe from that perspective. So imagine that probably, I can imagine there's a lot more companies thinking about this than they ever did before. Yeah, it's it's one of those, uh, and that's why I say, as a company, you don't want to have to make this the number one thing you worry about. And guess what you do, you do now? The number one thing you have to worry about as a company is how are you going to keep your employees safe? Because a non-safe work environment will lead to a lot of employee frustration from now on. And um, and so they'll, it'll be, there'll be a little bit of a curve, right? So we'll peak out probably within the next year where employees and companies are at odds with each other saying, hey, you didn't keep me safe. I got sick. I came back. You told me to come back. I came back. It didn't work. Now my family's affected. We'll probably see – my guess is we'll see that peak within a year. 
and and then it'll kind of, but then it'll kind of flatline. It won't come back down to the bottom. So companies are going to be left holding this bag of, well, I got to keep my employees safe. I'm going to have to check in constantly with how they're doing. How are we going to do that? And that's not, you want a company's number one focus to be on their, their delivery to their clients. Yeah. And their bottom line. Now, now, now I got to be careful here because employees are, employees are what make a company. Okay. And so you want them to always focus on employees. And so, you know, I'm a student of um, Southwest Airlines, you know, Herb Keller mm-hmm. met him and studied, you know, a lot of his work, spent, sold a lot to Southwest. I've been on their campus a lot. So, so I'm number one, Sodexo is that we are dedicated to our employees because employees are what give the output. A customer's reaction and interaction with you comes through an employee. Um, but but you want to be able to focus your measures on the those the employees' productivity side, and if you're caught up on all day long, we got to worry about the safety, and then you you start to lose productivity. And I think that's my point. So companies don't want to deal with that, and they're going but they're going to have to. So what what do they do? It's really interesting. I think there's this level of you know in all sales. What's really interesting, you start to you start to peel back why did someone buy and why did someone leave? And I find this I find these studies super fascinating, right? It's it's really easy when we say why did someone buy? We we have QBRs with each other. At the end of the quarter, we all get together and say, Well, this is why they bought. Mm-hmm. When we ask the question, why did you leave? It's it's actually a little bit different of a story. So when you ask someone why they why they why they purchased you. It's it's usually because, and I'll just pull up our studies for example. Um, so if I say why did why did we choose Sodexo? People perceived an outcome, and they had a really good experience with our salespeople. Price was only the issue, maybe eight percent of the time. So you see this kind of constantly happen uh, when you ask the question. So why did you choose us? The buying experience. The buying experience is number one. And number two is they perceived an outcome. But then you ask the question, so why did you leave when, when it's time for them to leave? And, and it's basically, it, it goes something like this. You didn't deliver on, a, on what we expected. So think about the, t- think about the two, two differences there. One, they purchased you through buying experience that showed them an outcome. They perceived what happened. Now, when they left, they literally left because you didn't deliver on that outcome. So what does that say about selling? It says that up front, we have to build a process of trust. We have to be accurate about what we're going to deliver. Setting expectations appropriately. But setting accurate expectations. Right. Right. Setting accurate expectations. That's probably one of the hardest things to do in this new environment. How, for example, for us, we're going to set an expectation around safety, but we may not get every piece right. So how do, the, how do we then manage this along the way? We're trying to predict, you know, we're, we're trying to, it's a little bit of shooting at a moving target. I think a lot of companies are going to go through this where selling is this motion of building trust, creating expectations up front that the company can perceive an outcome that will happen. I'm, we're going to help deliver X. I'm going to save you some money. I'm going to save you some time. I'm going to give back, you know, I'm going to deliver more of a safety protocol. We're going to reduce your number of email security email issues, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever the promise is in sales. I'm going to give you a better experience. This is going to be a better car. We set up this expectation. 
I think COVID's going to change the way we have to manage that. So what it means is we're going to have to be much more hands-on during in the middle of the process to say to someone, "Hey, by the way, here are some things we need. To, I need to schedule this meeting. It's it's imperative that I get all four buyers, all six buyers on this call. We need to talk about what's changed since I last told you what the outcome was going to be. And then when we and then when they close the deal." Your client success team is going to be just critical to manage expectations. Hey, what we thought six months ago is not the same anymore. Well, and I think that's one of the really critical things, especially in the field you're in, is that you know, assume you're going to have some number of, of buyers who are brand new to this, right? And they don't, they don't really <laughs> know what to expect. But also I think that given how the situation is so fluid, yeah, you could scope out a project and say, you know, this is what we're going to deliver. And we'll be very clear about what the expectations are, but the environment changes around it. Yeah, no, it's exactly. And and that's where we're going to have to be principled as companies, as sales teams, to be really clear on what we can and can't deliver and be really clear about what can change. See, the thing I love about Southwest and the, my favorite story about Herb Keller is, is when somebody called the complain and said, I... The experience was was really rough on the plane compared to, and he compared another air. This person compared to another airline. You, you know, your snack services were terrible. Uh, the options were pretty limited. Um, I didn't like the unassigned seats. And Herb Keller, rather rather than say, well, "Great, we'll look into how we can, you know, accommodate your needs," basically the reply back was, "Maybe we're not the right airline for you." Exactly. <laughs> We are principled around how we go to market. This is how we we go to market this way, so that you can enjoy a really an excellent staff. Which I hope they were good. You know, this is what he says. I hope they were good, and it turns out they were better um, and uh, great pilots and and a and a decent airfare. But we're principled about what we do. And, and I mean, you got to imagine they entered the market when Continental and United, all these companies were just laughing at them. They were in meetings about how to expand, you know, services in their lounge and how to, you know, up up their uniforms and just sort of all these random services that that Herb Keller said, well, I don't know that the customer cares about this. So a question for you around around this is is so what are you having finding or thinking about? Maybe you've started this process already, but what are you sort of planning relative to well, okay, well how do we how do we, you know, educate our sellers? to be more careful about how we set expectations, appropriately sized deals. I mean, I think even to some degree, you know, perhaps you, in some cases, may start with a little bit smaller deal, right? Just to make sure you can manage expectations appropriately. How, how are you teaching them about what the expectations could be? Yeah, great point. Well, first off, we're starting with the management layer. So we believe in, in a core principle that is just, it's just critical for all companies to get and that is if you if you look at the data that says yes now now go to employees why did an employee leave right Mm -hmm. manager right and the data has not changed since gallup and others have have been tracking this for really 50 years and and that is um when someone says what percent of my it's interesting when you ask a boss is this and you ask her say what percentage of your team is performing at the highest level they say 20 percent and then you ask the employee, what is the number one thing that will help me perform better? And they say their boss. So you have this just massive disparity between 
the manager thinks only 20% of the team get it. <laughs> and the employees think that the boss isn't actually helping them. And then that's right. the number one reason they leave is their boss. So we're starting with our management layer to say, listen, we got to help reset expectations. You've got to be an empathetic manager. You have to get in the, you have to, when we're asking all of our managers, check in with your teams daily. Daily scrums are starting to happen. And during this, we're since, and now we're starting to get the feedback from the ground up. Teams are saying, well, actually, I don't think we can deliver on this. And we're having open and honest and real conversations. That feedback is then, our next move is to go back to the product and delivery teams and say, okay, urgent, need to rethink. Here's the feedback from the front lines, need to rethink this product or this offer, this delivery. So you were doing both because at the end of the day, your product is what what expands your TAM, your total addressable market. Mm-hmm. Your product is also what dictates whether a seller can can or can't say something. So, so you need to get to the point where the product and the product teams and the sales teams are so aligned during this time. Here's what we can deliver. Here's what we can't deliver, because that expectation that's where the expectation goes awry. And so we're we're doing that. I think the other thing though is just is just back to this point of empathy. Sitting down with your sellers, helping them understand what their what their moves they can make. There's a lot of caution right now. I don't I don't think I can call. I don't think I can reach out. I don't think I can do. That. Nah, you can. There are things you can do right now mm-hmm. that set the tone with a buyer that let them know that you're there and available. And um, and so it's it does happen to be a lot of one on one. Apart from that, I mean the normal things you'd expect. We're having a lot of webinars. We call it sales club. So you get all the sellers around the globe on a sales club call. We've been hosting those every other week now. And what have been sort of the the key themes of those? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The, the The first couple of sales club calls were, hang in there, we got this. We're all in this together, like a lot of companies. Mm-hmm. The next call was, hey, we're going we're gonna to start going out. We're going out to market. And that's when we started getting reaction of, well, what do you mean we're going out? So then the next call after that was very specific tactics. Here are things you can say. Here's a message. We had our chief um, growth officer. Her name's Sylvia. She's an amazing woman. She, she put out the, the new messaging. And I love this because at Sodexo, we're, we were so used to, to going through brand studies that would take a year. Well, here's how we're going to say it. And, and overnight – these meetings are occurring where we say, what's our new messaging? Oh, it's this great. And we're, we're given the stamp of approval. So within, you know, within two weeks, she said, this is the message and we're taking out to clients. So that's hitting marketing and sales all together at once. And we're starting to change that immediately. So, so she put that out and, and then it was very tactical call number three of what, what are the things you can say? We started uh, on phone, on, on the webinar number three, we started giving a lot of hope. You know, we started telling stories of where we had hope, stories of our front line, stories of uh, we still had it. We had a deal close, a great deal that actually came through my team, my inside sales team last week, you know, $2 million deal. And um, that that gives hope. So right. we, we started talking about, OK, you can do this. And that's when, interestingly, and I saw people reaching out to me directly saying, hey, Ryan, that was great. What? I didn't know we could do that. 
And you and now you see people's ears kind of perk up and they they're saying, Oh, wow, this is maybe there is more good here. Yeah, I think it's it's and you touched on earlier, and I think it's it's um the right message, which is yeah, we're we're here when you're ready. But in the meantime, we're gonna be letting you know what we're doing and things that we think could be important to you, uh, ways that we could help now. And and that's fine. You know, I think that that the flip side of what many companies are trying to do, or at least they think they're encouraging people to do, is just, yeah, things that haven't really changed, just people working from home now. And it's like, no, that's not the case, right? <laughs> <laughs> just because they change locations doesn't mean everything else is the same. Everything has changed as a result of that. And if they're unmindful of that and they're not messaging that in the right way, yeah, they're going to box themselves in in a bad way. Yeah. Another way I think about this, Andy, if if I can just share sure. that's help, that might be helpful for some of the listeners. When we think of growth, and in this case, when we just think of getting back on track, I've come to the conclusion, this is Ryan Bott's opinion, but I've come to the conclusion is as a sales leader, there are only three things you can impact. And one of them, you can only impact tangentially. So what I mean by that is, and the three are, there are three Ps. So it's product, it's pipeline, and it's so it's product, pipeline, and productivity. And and so product is basically how you is what you offer. That's us that's what establishes that trust. That dictates your TAM. So how big is the total addressable market? It's totally dictated by the by this by the product and the offer. Pipeline we can impact. We don't have to wait. And sit back, we can actually get pipeline now. And you can change your messaging into a message of help. Mm-hmm. And you can change your message. You can be very acute on the prospects that you're going after. And then productivity is being able to, you know, move the needle. If I have a rep that closes at 30% and I can get her to close at 35%, well, now I've moved the needle. So I mean, those are kind of the three dials that we're constantly playing with as sales leaders is I got to go back to my product teams and, and give them feedback on what this does and doesn't do and how we can expand the offer. Two, I need to get my teams to develop pipeline. And three, I can dial, you know, I can, I can dial up and di- um, dial up productivity. We, we, we need to be thinking about all three right now. So our product's going to change based on these times. The pipeline we can impact, but we, we can actually put more efforts into pipeline. And then productivity is, gosh, you've never had a time in the world where because prospects have put some of their orders on hold, sit down and get your team so trained, so dialed in around CRM, so dialed in around um, you know, the sales process and deal flow and negotiation. I mean, we're, we're doing this nonstop. We're practicing with our sellers. We're reviewing CRM tactics. We're cleaning the data. So also that productivity can move from, say, 30% close ratio to a 38% close rate. I mean, that makes a world of difference if you can move that up. Yeah, and it's, it's surprising, and I talk about this often on this program, is how few sales leaders are really focused on that. You know, so often now in, in software in particular, it's like, well, yeah, we closed 20%, so we just need to expand the pipe. Right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, well, <laughs> wouldn't it be easier to move that up to 25 and then we'll work on getting it to 30. Yeah. That mindset hasn't taken hold. So it's encouraging to hear you talk about that because that's, that's the way to do it. 
I mean, can you imagine if you can impact all three? I mean, this is the nirvana. I, I think about this. <laughs> Sometimes I lay awake. Uh, you want to know what I, I do when I lay awake late at night, Andy? I'm thinking about this, the three Ps. <laughs> can you imagine if you can get your product to expand and so you have a bigger TAM? You've got more pipeline, more effective pipeline, a really, truly acute account-based marketing pipeline. Mm-hmm. And then your productivity went up. I mean, you got all three to, to move at the same time. I mean, you're talking about changing from a, I mean, you could be doing a, I don't know, $10 million startup that moves you to a $60 million startup. You get those three functioning. Yeah. Very quickly. You could be us. You could be a $23 billion company with, you know, a two, a two, two to $3 billion new business growth number every year, which is what's, that's the nut on my head. And, uh, <laughs> and, and yet. If we could that's get it? those three, yeah, exactly, right. Just a mere two billion, Ryan. That's all we need. Yeah, man up, make it happen. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's impressive. It's just amazing. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Um, people want to connect with you. Where can they do that? LinkedIn's the best. All right. Well, Ryan, thank you very much, and bless said, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Andy. Keep up the great work. Talk to you later.